The sponsor for the month is Founders Ministries. Founders Ministries exists for the recovery of the gospel and the reformation of churches. They've provided resources for churches since 1982 through conferences, books, the Sword in the Trial podcast, video documentaries, online articles found at founders.org, the quarterly Founders Journal, Bible studies, international church search, and the newly launched seminary level training program, the Institute of Public Theology. Founders believes that the biblical faith is inherently doctrinal, and they are therefore confessional in their convictions. You can learn more about Founders Ministries and how to partner with them at founders.org. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. The Shepherd's Crook exists to provide care, counsel, and resources for pastors. You can get more information at theshepherdscrook.co. My name is Jared Sparks, and I'm a pastor coming alongside other pastors, reminding them of the chief pastor. Hello, and welcome to the Shepherd Script Podcast. Glad you're here with me today. This is episode 169, and we're going to continue the series on suffering. And today we're going to talk about the wills of God and suffering. I keep delaying getting to natural disasters and some other things that I had thrown out the last couple weeks, but... As the weeks kind of unfold, there's more and more stuff that I want to cover. And so this series may drag on for a little bit, but I hope it's going to be helpful for you. And pastors, you know this, working with people who have been through suffering or walking through suffering, just valleys of life and difficult seasons, it's a hard thing to counsel them and to care for them. And you don't know what to say or when to say it. You don't know when to be silent or when to speak. And it's just a difficult thing where you have to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. But some of these things, as we're working through this, I think can be helpful for us to have that you know, that, that well of that's there of biblical truth and knowledge in these categories theologically that can help us as we're sitting with people, crying with people, or counseling people as they're going through difficulties. Uh, another thing before we pray that I wanted to make you aware of, as you know, I've been mentioning this, but I've been posting these on Gab, the video side of this, so all the audios are going out in the podcast, but then on the video side, it's over on Gab, and I've been doing a lot of different things on Gab and kind of trying some new things out. It's been a lot of fun. I'm doing this thing called Woodstove Chronicles right now where I'm doing a video about how the wood stove has been working for us and it's been fun for me and so it may be something you might be you know interested in and if you are just go and find it on Gab search the Shepherd's Crook or just my name Jared Sparks or find me on Gab I think my Gab profile name is just Jared Sparks and you're able to look that up and then subscribe and uh, hey I, I'm trying to comment to everybody comment back to everybody that's mentioning comments but people have been enjoying it so far and so I'm going to keep doing it and uh, I've loved it. So Jordan and I are actually going to be doing some things together on there as well. Something you may want to check out. Okay. Let's pray. And then I've got several texts that we're going to work through today as we, we work through the wills of God and suffering. We're going to talk about the secret will or the revealed will of God. And then the sovereign will or the, or the uh, and that's the secret will, secret will of God or the sovereign will of God or the moral will of God or the revealed will of, of God, kind of these two different ways to say the same thing. Let's pray. Lord, we need wisdom always, and we need help. And God, I know that when we're thinking about your will of decree and the secret things belonging to you, so often we can be confused about how that works in relation to the difficult things we go through. And so, God, I pray that sovereignty here would be a really a comfort to those who are walking through difficulty or have and God, help us to know that there's going to be some things that just belong to the secret knowledge of God forever. And we'll just never be able to fully understand why things are the way they are, why things happen the way they happened. And God, as we're sitting with people and counseling people, help us, give us wisdom 
on how to care for them. God, as we think about your moral will being broken, God, we long for the day that justice comes where you uh, make things right and you bring judgment upon those who have continually broken your moral will. And God, we pray that for people like myself who've been rescued from my sins against your revealed will. God, I thank you for your grace to me and your mercy to me. We pray that others would find your grace as well. Holy Spirit, lead us. I trust you will. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Secret will, sovereign will, will of decree. These are language, you know, these are things that we try to grapple with language theologically. So we look at the scriptures and we try to understand what's going on and we look at the sovereignty of God and then we look at the things in the scriptures that are revealed and we think about the prayer of Jesus, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And sometimes we can kind of get in this convoluted mess on trying to think about this problem of suffering. And we get into theodicy and, and trying to justify God, which we don't need to do at all. We don't need to justify God. The cross is justification enough and creation itself. God is so benevolent and kind to give. <clears throat> and so uh, when, we, when we're thinking through all of that, we, we have to see that there's not necessarily a one-to-one with heaven and earth in the sense that Jesus is praying, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven in the Lord's prayer. You know, in heaven, there is no suffering whatsoever. And yet on earth, there are times that it's the will of the Lord that we should suffer. And, and so uh, Jesus can't be saying and praying that exact, exact thing that's going on on heaven right now may it be exactly on earth in the sense that we think it is. And I think the central theme that Jesus is praying about is that the way God's glory is manifested, that that God's glory is central in heaven, may God's glory be central on earth. May may that be the one-to-one until one day, because of the resurrection, because of Jesus' death and resurrection, heaven will come to earth fully. It's already been invading, and it's been invading since Jesus, but it will come to earth fully when Christ returns, and then things will be restored, renewed, and then exactly what's happening in heaven will be present on earth. But until that time, the one-to-one is the glory of God is central. And that's why suffering in this world can be the will of God, because God uses this kind of stuff. I mean, how else is he going to change us and mold us and grow us as Christians but through trials and difficulties and doing that in a benevolent manner as a loving father, not as a maniacal, uh, you know, God sitting on his throne, you know, go go get that one now uh, kind of thing. And even with Job, and we see that, that was a loving father. God was not being mean to Job. And so now we're going to look at some verses here, and I want you to first see the sovereign will of God. Our men are about to go through the book by A.W. Pink, which is just a phenomenal read on the sovereignty of God. The introduction alone, this is the Banner of Truth edition, the introduction alone to this book is just my, it's so good. This is the best introduction of any, any book I've ever read. I think that and maybe the first lines in Knowing God when he, when a Packer quotes Spurgeon, the most memorable start to any book that I can think. And if you just, I mean, literally the page and a half intro is worth the book. Buy this book, A.W. Pink. So helpful. Okay, well now let's think about the sovereignty of God, okay? So we got three passages that we're going to look at here and that we're going to consider, and we're going to start in Isaiah chapter 46. Isaiah chapter 46, and uh, you guys know this, pastors, but it's always good to reflect on things that we've known, that we've preached on. It's good to remember things that we believe so dearly, why we believe them so dearly. Is it just because we're supposed to believe in the sovereignty of God, 
or is it because the Bible actually teaches the sovereignty of God? Isaiah 46, 5 through 11, listen to this. To whom will you liken me and make me equal and compare me that we will be alike? Those who lavish gold from the purse and weigh out silver in the scales, hire a goldsmith and make it into a god, they fall down and worship. They lift up their shoulders, they carry it, they set it in place and it stands there. It cannot move from its place. If it cries, if one cries to it, it does not answer or save him from his trouble. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old. For I am God, there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and the ancient times, things not yet done. So from the ancient times. Okay, this is God declaring the end from the beginning. This is his law or will of decree. This is the secret things. This is the sovereign will of God. There is no God like our God. Listen to what he says, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish my purpose. Calling a bird from the prey, a prey from the east, and a man of my counsel from far country, I have spoken it, and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed it, and I will do it. This is an amazing section of scriptures of God just declaring, kind of pulling back the curtain and saying, Wait a minute, it's like when he's talking to Job. This is who I am. I declare the end from the beginning. Make no mistake, I am not like an idol fashioned out of, the, uh, out of the hands of men. I am the God of the universe. There's no one like me, and my purpose will stand. It's not an issue of my purposes coming to fruition or not. My will cannot be broken. I have declared the end from the beginning. This is the God that we serve. Powerful. How about Ephesians chapter 1 as we flipped in the New Testament? A familiar passage. And if you don't love Ephesians chapter 1, you should. I loved preaching through the book of Ephesians and pastors, how great is it just preaching through the book of Ephesians? My goodness, the book is just so rich. You get into chapter 1, in love, he predestined. You see these things that are pitted against each other all the time, and yet I love how the Bible puts those four words together. In love, he predestined. And there's so many crowds and, you know, uh, tribes and theological circles in Christianity that love the love of God, and then there's others who love God's predestining work, and yet, Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, puts them together in love he predestined. But that's not the verses we're specifically looking at. We're looking at verse 11 that says this, In him we have obtained an inheritance that's already attained. And then in verse 14, we're going to get an inheritance. That's the already, not yet theological categories, if you're, if you've, uh, if you're thinking through that. Um, Having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. This is God working everything that is everything that exists, even the most vile of things, things are working somehow underneath the counsel of God's will. That is a part of the secret things that belong to God. How is that? We have no idea. But we have to agree with Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11. He works all things to the counsel of his will. Then, how about Romans chapter 8? verse 28, because when we read these passages for the Christian and the non-Christian, you're going to receive these passages differently. For the Christian, you receive it with great comfort and care. We should anyways. For the non-Christian, you may, if you're happening to be listening, you may be in this kind of knot mentally of, I don't like this. But for the Christian, here's these prom the promises that come with this. It's just beautiful things like this. And we know for those who love God, all things work together for the good. For those who are called according to his purpose. God is working all things in our life, everything, Somehow or another, he's working it for our good. This is the benevolent, sovereign, heavenly father that we have. This is not the maniacal, twisted, uh, anything like that. This is, this is the God, our heavenly father, sovereignly ruling and reigning, and it's good for us. 
And this is a good news for, for the Christian. I mean, this is, uh, uh, this is great. The will of God, the, the, the sovereign will of God cannot be broken and everything is underneath it. Now, <clears throat> one of the mistakes we make is stopping there, stopping at God's sovereign will. And then there's a lot of problems that can come with that, philosophical problems, theological problems, because we're reading through a Bible and we're reading that the, moral, the other aspects of God's will can be broken and are broken all the time. For instance, the moral will or the revealed will of God is broken every single day. Just think about the Ten Commandments, or literally every page of the Bible, where God's will is broken every day, all over the place. I break God's will every day. His moral will, or His revealed will, is there in front of us in the law of God. That's the one-to-one. God's moral will is in His law, His good law, and God's will is seen in His law. And the Ten Commandments, we just think about those Ten Commandments, and we realize, my goodness, everybody is breaking the will of God. Everybody is violating God's will, and certainly God's will... His sovereign will can't be thwarted, but certainly his moral will can. Certainly people can reject God's purposes for themselves. And we see that in Luke chapter 7. It's said explicitly that several people were rejecting God's purposes for themselves. Look at this. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purposes, the purpose of God for themselves, having not been baptized by him. So God purposed that they would be baptized by John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected that purpose of God and did not get baptized by John. They did not repent, and they did not bear fruit with that repentance and keeping with that repentance. <clears throat> the moral will of God can be thwarted. It can be broken. And this is just a, when you're thinking about God's sovereignty, these two simple ideas, when you, when you really get that down, that is such a helpful tool in the toolkit of helping people who are suffering to talk about you know, when, when somebody sinned against, hey, listen, they violated God's moral law and there's going to be judgment coming because of that violation. And if they will not repent and be right with the Lord, then one day they will experience the, the, the wrath of God that's being delayed right now. And this justice system is so corrupt in almost every single way. You see corruption everywhere. Well, thank God there is a Supreme Court of all Supreme Courts and God himself is the judge and he rules with equity. He rules equally. He rules with right and proper measures. And, and so everything's going to be weighed in the balance and people are going to be judged for their sins. And there's this place called hell and it's the wrath of God. And everybody who has sinned and sinned and broken God's moral law and broken God's moral law and will not repent and get right with Jesus and find that uh, full forgiveness of sins is found in Christ and Christ alone, well, then there's going to be justice coming. And, and God will judge the sins of people who have violated his law. Now, when you put all this together and think about it, there is some help <clears throat> to also think about as we turn again to the sovereign will of God. And I want to thank Piper years ago. Piper in applied theology has been an absolute nightmare. But one of the things he did help me with is thinking through really a key to help so many people is with uh, this idea of suffering and the cross, the cross being central here. And the reason we can trust Romans 8.28, one of the reasons is because of Acts chapter 2 and chapter 4 that tell us about the decrees of God, about the predetermined purposes of God in the crucifixion of Christ. And I think Piper's right in saying that the most vile sin that has ever been committed against anyone is not <clears throat> sex crimes, although those are horrible and they're vile and they're evil. It's not child trafficking, which is, I mean, I have kids. It's hard to even think about that. It's just, it's awful. It's horrendous. And you want to just see the death penalty upon everybody that does it. And that should happen, by the way. That should happen according to God's law. 
But here, in Acts chapter 2 and in chapter 4, we get some help, okay? And if God can do something out of this, and this is what he has revealed about his sovereign will, because God has revealed a few things about his sovereign will, not everything, there's still some secret things, but God has revealed in what's written, in his moral will, in his, in, in his word, he has revealed some things about his secret workings. And they're pretty beautiful if we can see them. Okay? So Acts chapter 2, listen to this. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified by the hands of lawless men. Here you see God's sovereignty and still yet God's sovereignty alongside human responsibility. Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. How would he be delivered up? Well, through sin. He's delivered up through sin. That's how he's delivered. And God predetermined that he would be delivered up in this manner. Now, it gets more specific in chapter 4. Listen to this. For truly in this city there are gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel. Four people at play here. Two people, two groups. Herod, Pontius Pilate, Gentiles, and the people of Israel. Okay? That's everybody involved in the crucifixion of Jesus. And we're told that they they do, in verse 28, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Herod, Pontius Pilate, Gentiles, and the people of Israel were doing whatever God's hand and planned, plan had predestined to take place. And it was them doing it. There's no way to untie that knot. God's sovereignty and human responsibility. God determined that they would do it, and yet they are responsible for doing it. And even the worst, most unimaginable sin, the crucifixion of the only innocent one who has ever lived, who is actually going to the cross on behalf of sinners like you and me, was benevolent even and loving and caring and powerful, even as he marched to the cross, squared up his shoulders and walked to Jerusalem to be crucified. And yet, even in that moment, the worst sin that's ever happened in the history of the world, uh, God was working salvation for you and me. God was working salvation. And somehow or another, you know, the, the disciples and the apostles and everybody there would wonder how in the world, what could possibly, before the resurrection, what could possibly, what, what, could good, what good could come out of this? Imagine this, you know, on the road to the, on the road to Emmaus, they're asking questions, you know, God, why? How could this possibly be good? You know, what, we had hoped he would be the one that would restore, rescue, and, and, and save Israel. Like, we, we had all these hopes and dreams, and then Jesus just died. How could anything good come out of this? And yet here we have the salvation of God's people, and yet not just Israel, the salvation of his elect from all corners of the earth, north, south, east, and west, west and his uh, salvation of the world. Like the salvation of the cosmos, all that's beautiful about the atonement in its particular nature and even in its universal application in other ways. Uh, not universalism. We can talk about atonement later. But, my goodness, great things that come and flow from what God did through Jesus on the cross. And uh, Jesus, thank you for all that you've done. Holy Spirit coming and, and opening our eyes to this. Thank you so much. And so when you're thinking through suffering, you've got to have these passages in your mind and you've got to have these categories theologically to be able to counsel people from. You need that deep well of, of scriptural knowledge that the Holy Spirit is going to bring to you and help you with and help you comfort people with. And, uh, and anyways, just food for thought today. 
And then next week, we'll get to natural disasters. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening. I appreciate it. We still have a Founders giveaway that's going to be coming out this month. I'll Actually, I need to do that today. I'll tell you what. I'll give you my word. That's going to come out today. I said that once last month, and then it didn't happen. Please forgive me. Um, but that's going to come out for this month. It's going to run for the whole month. And the way you're going to enter for the 10-book Founders giveaway is to su- subscribe on Gab TV. You're going to have to subscribe and comment on one of the videos. And if you subscribe and comment on one of the videos, then you will be uh, included in the giveaway. Okay, guys, hope you have a great rest of the day. Thanks so much for listening, and uh, subscribe, share, whatever you do, and, uh, and keep coming back. Thanks, guys.